This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. You can put this up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read you two little portions of scripture. We're going to jump right into it, and then we'll pray for some people at the very close of service. Hebrews chapter 11 and First um, Samuel chapter number 14. Uh, we'll read First Samuel 14 in just a second. Let's, let's read this together, that Hebrews chapter 11. Maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you're not. Here's what it says. It says, read it with me, and without faith, come on, say it loud, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. And you can just stop right there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, but the converse of this is so true. It, it's with faith. What could we possibly do with faith as a church? As an individual, what could you and I, what could we do with faith? We have an opportunity with faith to honor God, to bless God, to please God. Faith pleases God. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but when we operate in faith, when we don't just have a declaration of faith, but when we actually have activity of faith, when we live a life of faith, it blesses God. It does. God's into our faith. Now, now he's a God that's filled with grace, and he loves you just because, and we don't have to flip tricks to try to make God love us more. God just loves us just because that's who he is. But what I've discovered is God is really into faith. Think about even in the Bible, Jesus went around quantifying faith. He would say things like, oh, ye of little faith, or I haven't seen faith in all, in all of Israel like this. And so God is into our faith, and he's constantly looking for people to operate in faith that will believe him at his word, that will believe that he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. He's looking for people like that. Matter of fact, when Jesus shows back up on this scene to, to take his church, to take his bride to himself, the Bible says he will be looking to see if he can find faith in the earth. So God's into faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's into faith. Here's the reality. Is that there's the Bible says there's some people that have a gift of faith. I would say like Chad, he's a guy with a gift of faith. He just believes. I mean, he's like, oh yes. I mean, we can just part the sea. It's just it's gonna happen, right? There's some people that have the gift of faith. It's not just preachers and pastors. Some of you in here, you have the gift of faith. You can just believe God. But the Bible says that not everybody has the gift of faith, but everybody has a measure of faith. Everybody has a measure of faith. It's like this. You know those some people that have the gift of muscles. They can eat whatever they want. That's some of you out there right now, and I need, I, I, I'm bitter at you right now, okay? I just look at a bagel. I get a bagel right here, okay? <laughs> There's some of you, you got the gift of good looks and the gift of muscles. You don't have to work out. You just, poof, you just look good. The rest of us have a measure of muscle, and it takes development. It takes work. It takes exercising. And the Bible says that there's people with a gift, just because faith is like a muscle. There's people with a gift of faith, but the rest of us have probably a measure of faith. And so hopefully over the next few minutes, those of you with a gift of faith, maybe I can give you some insight to how the rest of us work. Uh, but those of you with a measure of faith, my prayer for you is that God would speak to you through the story we're about to read. And that you would, you would discover how you can, you can grow in the area of faith. Because faith is what pleases God. Okay? We're going to read this, 1 Samuel chapter number 14, our little case study right here. I love this. This is the little story of Jonathan and his nameless armor bearer, his nameless friend. Brother doesn't even get a name in the Bible, no credits. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, Jonathan's a prince to the king. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost. The Philistine are their enemies uh, on the other side. But he did not tell his father, Saul, who was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in, in Migron. 
with him were about 600 men. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, these next few verses, I am from the South, so I, I struggle with my phonetic uh, pronunciations. I don't know how to pronounce most of this stuff. These names are foreign to me, so we're going to make stuff up, so just go with me. Among whom was Ahijah, uh, who was wearing an ephod. He was son of Ichabod's brother, a hot tub, <laughs> son of Phineas, the son of Eli, of the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, and the other was, I don't even know how to say it, Los Angeles. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash. That sounds like that's from the south. The other to the south towards Gibba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, we'll focus in on these verses. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, speaking of their enemies, the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps, maybe, maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, as Armour Bear said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you, heart and soul. If you take a notes, I just want to speak to you from the subject, perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord. Touch three people and say, perhaps the Lord. Really quick, just say, perhaps the Lord. It's going to get churchy up in here in the 10 a.m. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Speak to us in the next 18 minutes in the name that is above every name. God, we thank you that this church is not about a person or a personality. It's only about the person, Jesus. And so today, as we lean into your word, will you do more than challenge us? Will you change us by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word? In Jesus' name. And everybody sit. Amen. Amen. Come on, once you clap your hands for the word of God. Hey, um, do we have any risk takers in the house? You got any risk takers in the house? You like to take risk. Okay. Any risk averse people in the house? You just like, I don't, I'm not into that, right? Um, when I was younger, I used to take a lot of risk. I, I'm, the, I'm the kid that would jump off a, like a two-story house onto a trampoline into a pool. That was me. I loved it. Wow. I, I would do stuff like that. I like to take risks. Uh, I'm 35 now, okay? I have, uh, I have glasses. Shut up. <laughs> I, have, I have a great life insurance policy, and I have a disability plan. I don't have a minivan yet like Josh uh, Anderson. However, <laughs> under the bus. Um, I don't take risk anymore. I, kinda, I find that as I'm getting older, uh, I'm becoming a little bit more domesticated. Like, I, I, don't, I don't take risk like I used to when I was younger. And what I've discovered is that as, uh, as you begin to grow and you get older, you can begin uh, to play it a little bit safer. You can begin to, to look at the things that you have in your life. You, you have a, a, you know, your portfolio looks nicer. You're a little bit more successful. You got, uh, you know, a nice house. You got a picket fence, 3.5 kids and the van. And it gets harder to push all of the chips into the middle of the table. It just does. When you're 22 and all you got is a gift card to Chili's and a bag of Cheetos and some fake Chelsea boots, I mean, you, you can go, Lord, you can have it all. You can have it all. You can have it all. It's bad. You know, while there is a, there is a sense that, that maybe it is good to play it safe in some areas, what I found that in the area of spirituality and in following God, uh, you got to be careful, and it sounds funny even saying that, you got to be careful that you don't 
begin to live a tame life. Because what I know about God, and when I look at the word, is that he didn't send his son Jesus to be stripped naked and nailed to a cross so that you and I can live a tame, domesticated life, just doing our little cute, quiet times, dropping our tithe in our container, going to church once a week, and then every once in a while, maybe bringing somebody to church. That's not the tame life that he died for. He died for us to follow him fiercely in faith. And to follow God in faith, it's going to sometimes take some risk. Truly, the greatest risk you'll ever take is actually not risking, because in playing it safe, you run the risk of dying and having never truly lived. I love this particular story about Jonathan and his uh, friend with no name. Um, The previous chapter of this, to give you some context, um, Jonathan goes over to the Philistines. These are the enemy of God, okay? These are the enemy of the the Israeli army, these Hebrew men and and, Israelis. Jonathan goes over to pick this fight. He's just kind of like he's an instigator, right? He goes over and picks his fight, beats down a bunch of Philistine men. And then he goes back to gather with uh, his father, the king, and uh, there are 2,000 or so men. But the Bible says in the previous chapter of what we read that the Philistines begin to gather all of their highly trained military men with all of their weapons. They had brilliant weapons. These were very strong men. And they said, once and for all, we're going to wipe out the people of God. And so they begin to rally their troops to come in. And then the people of God, they hear about it. This Israeli army hear about it. And so fear strikes their hearts. Here's why. They only had two weapons, King Saul's sword and Jonathan's sword. The rest of the military men, all they had was farming equipment, like, like rakes and shovels and pitchforks, okay? This is like a military of rednecks, okay? <laughs> Fear hits their heart, and they turn into cowards, and many of them, they, they leave their men. And the Bible says that many of them go and they hide in caves, paralyzed by fear. The enemy's coming in. They're paralyzed by fear. Now their military is down to 600 men and two weapons. So what does the king do? The leader. What does he do? The Bible says that he goes over underneath a pomegranate tree, lays down with his sword, gathers his 600 men around him, and he's snoozing in what he thinks is safety, and he's sitting this fight out. This is the guy that should be leading the military, leading the people of God, and he's just like, I'm done, I'm tired, and I'm, I'm going to sleep this one out. I mean, what a picture of many Christians as they get older in their faith just kind of snoozing in safety while the enemy's coming in like a flood, destroying the people of God in our cities, just snoozing, safety. But the Bible contrasts this older generation with a younger generation, and this isn't to hype up a younger generation, but I just believe that God's doing something fresh, something new in our generation. He's doing something fresh and new in the church, and this is such a picture of what God is doing because Jonathan is over here, and it's it's juxtaposing this whole situation here. Jonathan cannot sleep. Jonathan's laying here, and he's got his sword, but he can't, he's disturbed. He, like, this is messing with him. The thought of the enemy coming in and killing him and all of their men and wiping the people of God off the face of the earth, just the thought of that, that has disturbed him. You see, here's what I've discovered about God. God will comfort the disturbed, but sometimes he'll disturb the comfortable. Golf clap. And Jonathan is right here, and he's, it's, it's messing with him. He cannot sleep. I wonder when's the last time you couldn't sleep at night thinking about the people in your community, in your city, that the enemy's just, just, just having his way with them, the people in your family. Jonathan's sitting here, and he's thinking, I can't, I, I can't, just, I can't just sit this one out. This could be different. This should be different, and I'm going to do something about it. Jonathan hops up, and um, just go with me. I'm going to use my exegetical imagination here. He kicks his armor bearer that we have no name, but he says, hey, brother, get up right now and grab your rake. Come with me. 
They sneak off. They don't tell King Saul. They don't tell any of the other men. And as they begin to approach this cliff, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and he says, hey, my man, listen, I got an idea. This is just, just an idea, just a strategy. On the top of that ridge right up there, there's about 20 of these Philistine men, and they're planning to come down and to destroy all of us, maybe even by daybreak. But I just had this idea, this thought. As I was laying over here, it just kind of came to me. What if we show ourselves to them, and they call us up there, and we go up there, and just me and you, like my sword, your rake, we go up there, and, and perhaps the Lord shows up. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know, but perhaps the Lord shows up, and we just wipe all of them out. We just take everybody out. Now, listen, I'm not propagating us getting swords after Zoe today and going out in our community. This is figurative language. The enemy, you know, you get it. Okay. So he's looking up, and he's thinking, I think that perhaps the Lord will show up. If we'll just step out, maybe God will show up. I don't know. Okay, so let's just, let's just pause. If I'm this armor bearer, in this moment, I'm beginning to ask some very intentional questions. Jonathan, did you get a prophetic word from God about, like, how this was going to go down? Jonathan's like, no, man, I'm just saying, like, perhaps the Lord's going to show up. Jonathan, did, did you, like, have a visitation like an angel? Was there a traveling evangelist that came through that gave you a word last night? And Jonathan's like, no, man, I'm just like, I can't just sit over there and do nothing. Like, this is boring. I'm just, I'm, I can't just sit there and do nothing. I'm just thinking, maybe, just maybe, if we'll step out, maybe God will show up, and then we'll win this thing. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to show up. Nothing's promised. Nothing's certain. I don't know. Perhaps the Lord will show up. Armor bear. Armor bear right here. So, um, Jonathan, do you know if in the mountains up there they got more weapons? Because all I have is a rake, <laughs> and you got a sword. Jonathan, no, man, I'm just thinking that, like, I'm going to stab people, and you're just going to rake them up in, in a pile? <laughs> and perhaps the Lord is going to show up. Hey, write this down. This would be point number one for all the left brain people that you need points, okay? I know who you are. you like my wife. You're like, give them points, Jason. You ain't making no sense. Okay, here's your first point right here. Your friends affect your faith, and your faith affects your friends. Jonathan makes a statement to this armor bearer. He doesn't say, hey, man, listen, I am highly trained, highly skilled. I'm very equipped. We got all the resources. I know the outcome. He doesn't make any statement like that. He says one thing. He says this. He makes a declaration about God. He says, here's what I know about God. He says, God, it doesn't matter if there's a lot of us, if there's a few of us, if we got a ton of resources, if we have a ton of equipment. None of that matters. All of that, it, it's, it's like a non-factor because of who God is. God can save whether or not if he has many or few. He makes this big, bold claim in his faith declaration. I just believe that it just, it just did something in the heart of his friend. His friend looks at him and he goes, man, I'm, I don't know the outcome. And this may be a little scary. But with, with faith like that, with a friend like this, I'm with you heart and soul. Your faith affects your friends. And your friends affect your faith. Uh, you know, we're going to San Francisco to plant this church. And so I, I got to tell you that I've been, like, torn back and forth. It'd be a lot easier just to go down to the south, raise a little bit of money. I could plant a church and not even be anointed and probably gather a 1,000 people, okay? That's the south, okay? Chad got it. The rest of you didn't, okay? <laughs> if you know anything about church stuff, we're like church mouse. Like, we were raised in churches, so we know. In the south, everybody goes to church the way we drink coffee up here, okay? And it's just part of the, the culture. It would make more sense to start there, Okay? 
But God hasn't called me there. God's called me to San Francisco. Success is not about the outcome. Success is about hearing, believing, and obeying God. Okay? And, and, and the other day, I'm, I'm you know, I've, so I've dealt with this. I've wrestled with this. But the other day, I'm in a worship service at a conference. And a friend of mine, friend of mine, he's sitting by me. He goes, hey, man, you still thinking about going to San Francisco? I was like, yeah, man, I really feel like that's what the Lord is leading us to do. And so I, we're just going to step out. We're going to believe that perhaps the Lord is going to show up. And he goes, oh, geez. You kidding me? San Francisco, hard ground. Hard ground. Church graveyard. It'll never work. We're in church. Come on, you're my friend. Build my faith. I literally, listen, this is a friend. Been friends for years. I sat down during worship. I was so depressed, okay? This was last week. I sat down in worship. I'm sitting there, and I, I'm just like, God, I just, maybe you haven't called me to do this. I mean, the enemy starts going through my mind. And so I, right then, I just kind of just reached deep within that grit, you know, that every leader, you better get. I reached down deep. I said, God, here, this is how, here's how great of a leader I am. I throw a Hail Mary. Just like, God, if it's you, give me a sign. <laughs> I'm moving in six weeks, and I'm asking God, God, give me a sign. What are we doing? But seriously, I said, John Gray, you, you guys know John? John's about to get up and preach. That's not who was saying that. This, he was a guest speaker. <laughs> Just clarify that. John's about to get up and preach. And I go, God, this may sound so immature. I may have shallow faith right here. This is like mustard seed. Like I'm just being just as real as possible. I pray, God, that John Gray will give me a prophetic word in the middle of his message. Who prays that? That's just stupid. Okay. John is in the middle of preaching, Chad. In the middle of preaching. He just stops. He goes, Jason Lair. There's 1,000, 1,200 people there. Jason Lair, you still going to Northern California? You still going to San Francisco? I'm like, <laughs> this guy's next to me. He's like. <laughs> and John, listen, John, he's a friend. But he's not just a faithful friend. See, this other guy was a faithful friend. John's not only a faithful friend. He's a faith-filled friend. And in that moment, John, I believe, was led by the Spirit. Just began to just prophesy and speak faith. And his faith, he was lending me his faith. Some of you, you'd be amazed at what you could accomplish for God if you would just change some of the people that are around you. And I'm not saying don't hang out with non-Christians because God's called us to be salt and light. You're supposed to be a leader, not a follower, an influencer, not influenced by others, strong in times of temptation, and a light in the darkness. But let me tell you, make no mistake about it, that if you're going to accomplish anything for God, you better make sure you got some faith-filled people around you you got to have some faithful people around you. I'm not even going to get to my other points. i got to hurry up. So let's just rush to the next one, okay? Here, Holy Spirit, speak to every person about the friends in their life. They just need to cut out their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <laughs> second point. Here's your second point. Faith is a decision. It's not an emotion. Faith is, it, it's not about a feeling. You know, it's not, I feel faith today, so I'm going to be faithful. No, no, no. We're faithful even when we're not faith-filled. And we make a decision, God, I'm going to trust you, not because my circumstances look right. I'm going to trust you, not because I have all the resources to do what you've put in my heart to do. But I'm going to trust you because of who you are. And you make a decision, I'm not going to follow fear. See, it's not, it's not a sin to feel fear, it's a sin to follow fear. Fear will not, it has no place in your life. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. The Bible says there's a spirit of fear, which is not from God. The Bible also says there's a spirit of faith, which that is from God. See, the spirit is pneuma, it's breath. 
the enemy, you know, he wants to breathe over you. He wants you to be, begin to breathe the, the atmosphere of fear in your life because he knows it will paralyze you from the purposes of God for your life. You'll never reach your full potential. But when you begin to breathe in the atmosphere of faith, you begin to say, you know what? I don't understand how it's going to work out, but perhaps the Lord. And you begin to make a decision. Come hell or high water, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, heart and soul. It's a decision. So the Bible gives no indication that Jonathan and his armor bearer have felt any fear. But one can only assume that if they were going to step out in faith, they would have to step over fear to do it. I love what my good friend Chad says. Your fear is connected to your faith and your faith is connected to your fear. There's a tension always there. When you're going to step out in faith, you will have to step over fear to do it. Fear of what? I don't know. Fear of the uncertainty. Fear of loss. Probably the biggest one that our generation, our culture deals with is fear of failure. You know why? It's not because we have a fear of not achieving something. We have a fear of the identity attached to failing. We don't want to be known as a failure. Essentially, we're just in bondage to the opinions of the people around us. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, listen, we're going to have to step over this fear. And we're going to have to step out in faith. And we're going to have to believe that perhaps the Lord will show up. I love what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, and that's, I'm, I'm reaching deep back in history, right? Benjamin Franklin, he said, only those that dare to, to fail greatly were ever achieved greatly. Most Christians aren't living their dreams because they're busy living their fears. If you're going to see the full potential of God realized in your life, you're going to have to step over fear. You're going to have to step over insecurity and intimidation and inadequacy. And all, you're going to have to step over those things. What is it that God's put in your heart that you're afraid of what people will think if you fail? What is it? Is it writing that book? Is it stepping out to do the leadership college here? Hello, shameless plug. Is it being a small group leader? Is it, is it getting into ministry? Is it going to that, that, get your secondary education? What, whatever it is. What is the thing God's put in your heart that you're so afraid that if you fail, people are going to look at you and be like, I knew she was going to fail. I knew he was going to fail. You're afraid of what your parents are going to think about you. You're afraid of what your kids are going to think about you. You're afraid of what your peers are going to think about you. If you're going to step out in faith, you're going to have to step over fear to do it. You got to just stop caring about your reputation. I'm beginning to find that to be true. You got to get to the point where you're like, I just don't care anymore about ruining my reputation for God. <laughs> for God. Key word there, okay? For God. Listen, if you're going to build God's reputation, sometimes you have to be willing to risk yours. You got to step over fear, step out in faith. They begin to make this decision. We're going to, we're going to step out and just believe that God's going to show up. They climb up this mountain, they get to the top. And it's amazing. Jonathan starts stabbing people, cutting people, ears and body parts and everything. Homeboys raking people up in a pile. Watch this. Watch this. This is so, this is beautiful. They take a half an acre of ground and they kill 20 men. Two guys, one weapon against 20 men with 20 weapons. They take out 20 men. And God hasn't even stepped into the scene yet. All this is just operating on their faith. In the natural, God hasn't given a directive. God hasn't given a command. There's been no prophetic kind of you get after it. And God's gonna, there's been no, God has not shown up. He has not shown up at all. But their faith interrupts heaven and heaven, heaven invades earth. Watch what happens. The Bible says that God sees this and he starts an earthquake I just imagine this. This is, this is just my ADHD, just working A through Z, all of it. I just imagine this playing out. God's up in heaven. You got Michael, Gabriel, and all the other angels. They're worshiping. It's like they're singing oceans or something. It's beautiful. 
one of these angels, like the one that usually sits in the back, no offense, but sits in the back, he's texting up in heaven. He's like, oh, God, what do you guys want to eat after this? This, is, this isn't even, I don't even like this song. Oh, my gosh. You know. and, and he looks down, and he sees Jonathan and the armor bearer. And then in this moment, he looks, he's like, that dude's got a rake. <laughs> I ain't believing this. And he starts elbowing people. Y'all look at this. this dude got a rake right here. He got a rake. And then God looks. God's like, what's going on? Stop. He looks down, and he goes, oh, my gosh. I almost said, oh, my God, oh, my me, you know. <laughs> who told them to do this? I just imagine this. God's like, who told these fools to do this? This is crazy. And they're all like, none of us gave these. None of us said nothing about this. We would never, we would never, this is, this is a, this is dumb. And God's like, but I like it. Faith like that? I want to be involved in this. And God starts an earthquake. I don't know how he did it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Ground begins to shake. The Bible says all the, the rest of the military turn on each other. They start killing each other. And then watch this. All the cowards that were hiding in the rocks in the caves, they're awakened by these two young men's faith. And they, they jump into the fight. On the other side of your faith and your obedience is someone else's awakening. And the Bible says in verse 23, and I'll wrap up. The band can come up. The Bible says that on that day, the Lord saved all of Israel. Here's why. Here's your third point, left-brainers. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. He does. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. Listen, I'm not sure what you'll have to risk. I don't, I'm not, you, may have to, you may have to be one like a fool to step out in faith. But can I tell you this? God will honor it when you believe and you trust him for who he is and what he's called you to do. You're going to fall in a category of some good people if you'll be willing to risk everything and look like a fool for God. Think about this. Noah built a boat in the middle of the desert. Dumb. Children of Israel marched around Jericho blowing trumpets. Dumb. David, this fool ran after a nine-foot giant with five rocks and a slingshot. What a fool. Peter, he got out of his boat in the middle of the sea, people. That's foolish. Jesus, stripped naked, hung up on a cross in front of everyone looking foolish. But the results speak for themselves. Noah was saved from a flood. Jericho's walls came tumbling down. The giant fell right down on his head. Peter walked on water. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. Why? Because faith honors God, and God honors faith. As I finish with this, the best part of the story is this, is that you and I are not to read this story and identify with Jonathan. You know why the armor bearer has no name? Because it's your name. Jonathan just points us prophetically to one that would one day come, a greater prince, a greater heir to the throne. His name is Jesus. And in the same way that Jonathan climbed a hill with a sword and he laid down man's life to save his own, the Bible says that Jesus, he climbed another hill called Golgotha, Skull Hill, armed not with a sword but with a cross. And he didn't take man's life, but he laid down his in your place and in my place so that our lives would be saved. And the Bible says in the Gospels that when God saw his son, the father saw his son step out in faith, that the earth began to shake. 
What is it that God has called you to do? And perhaps the Lord will show up. Will you follow him heart and soul wherever he leads you? Come on, will you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.